This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotion promotional offer not available in washington dc Hello everyone, welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, April 14th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson, I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Omen. Hey, that's me. Brad, what has been happening? You were out for a little bit. Where were you? What did you do? Did you have a good time? Indeed, indeed. Um, I went over to Houston for uh, a wedding. My girlfriend's cousin was getting married. She was a, a bridesmaid and was doing the makeup for it. And so we went out there to uh, help them get things set up and just hang out with like all of her family and everything. Uh, so that was just a nice little getaway trip. The weather's uh, better in Texas right now than it is here in the Midwest. Not that it's terrible here in the Midwest, but it's just a lot more uh, rainy and occasionally cool because spring weather around here is kind of unpredictable in March and even in April. Um, apparently it snowed a little bit while I was gone. So, wow, <laughs> fun. Um, but, uh, I did, uh, get the opportunity to, um, stop at uh, a store that I wanted to go to because in Texas they have a grocery store chain, uh, called HEB or HEB. I'm not sure how, if they say HEB or if they say HEB, but it's only in, uh, Texas, uh, and Mexico, but in the United States, just Texas. And they have some like uh, cool things. I've seen other like uh, snack and, you know, drink uh, reviewers and, and influencers post about from that store. So I went there specifically to get some of the things that I had seen recently. So I'll be talking about those at some point, probably in the future after I've tried some of the things that I got and brought Excellent. back with me. Uh, but yeah, so other, besides that, um, I started reading uh, You've Got Red on You, How Shaun of the Dead was brought to life, which is uh, exactly what it sounds like. It is a book about the making uh, of Shaun of the Dead by Clark Collis. It came out last year. 
Uh, I got it for Christmas. I'm just now digging into it. And uh, I'm only a couple chapters in, but um, it uh, really digs back into like just the early days of uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and their careers and how they uh, got to know each other and, and met up and worked with each other and basically what happened in their careers leading up to them making Son of the Dead, which was basically the big spark uh, that sent all of them on the career that we know that they all have today. Uh, so it's uh, very detailed, very thorough, has a lot of insight from people who worked with them when they were younger, when they were doing stuff for British television. Um, and it has a, a great, um, you know, wealth of titles that are listed as far as things that they worked on. And I started seeking out some of them. And thankfully, um, even though they're not really easily available for, through official channels, there's a lot of episodes of uh, different sketch comedy shows that Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright worked on with like Jessica Hines and uh, other British comedians like Dylan Moran when they were still up and coming. And so I've, I've seen some of those episodes of, uh, I haven't seen them yet, but I found them on YouTube, like uh, shows like Asylum uh, and stuff like that. So oh, I'm wow. I've never heard of that. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to uh, seek some of those out after I uh, get through the book and see some of their early work. So let me ask you a question about the book. Uh, I know you said you're only a few chapters in, so you may not have the answer to this yet, but I read a book, I don't know when, who knows when at this point, a year or two years ago uh, about Peter Jackson. And it was supposed to be, you know, largely about the making of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and uh, the beginning stages of the book were so much laying so much groundwork and foundation for how he got there that I found myself getting a little impatient with some of that. Like, all right, I, I get it. Uh, I'm here to read about the Lord of the Rings. Why are you not giving me what, you know, what I want kind of thing? Um, does this book uh, do a better job of sort of balancing interesting foundational information with also like sort of speeding it along and actually getting you what you want yeah it's a pretty breezy read even though it does provide a lot of that that information it's it's all stuff that feels relevant to Shaun of the dead and like lays the groundwork for um you know what would come as whether it's like edgar wright's filmmaking style or simon Pegg's comedy roots and like how he met nick frost and things like that and so it's, it's informative but it's not uh exhausting to read and so like i'm just now getting to the point where they're um preparing to like do Shaun of the Dead together. So it's, um, it, yeah, there, there's not enough where you're just like, geez, just get to the point. <laughs> cool. Uh, okay, so let's get into what we've been watching. Um, Brad, one of the, uh, I guess, the downsides to doing multiple, um, what would you call it, multiple uh, episodes of of uh, many water coolers per week is that um, sometimes you sort of empty the tank in the first one and there's not really a lot to talk about two days later. There's not been enough time to to build up uh, another, um, you know, archive of things to, to discuss. So I only watched one movie uh, since I did one of these and that was called High Sierra. It's from 1941 and it stars uh, Ida Lupino and Humphrey Bogart. And it's um, a, a pretty cool a uh, thriller set in California where Bogart plays this guy who uh, was a, a notorious um, criminal who just is released from prison and immediately gets back into the game. He, he goes to, uh, he's a thief and he goes to, um, you know, accept a job. But like the first thing he does out of prison is just to go and, and get his instructions for how to pull off his next heist. And uh, he ends up teaming up with, these guys who don't really know what they're doing and the plan is to rob this, uh, this resort out in California. Um, and he, uh, ends up doing that and then things sort of go wrong from there. And it, it all culminates. Um, the, the uh, tagline on the poster is in huge letters. It says he killed dot, dot, dot. And then in smaller letters, it says, and there on the crest of Sierra's highest crag, 
he must be killed. So <laughs> it's very uh, old school and theatrical. Uh, the poster is pretty cool. But um, yeah, it, it basically ends with this this big shootout on the side of a, a mountain that actually looks like they went out and, and shot it on the real side of a mountain, which was, um, yeah, always cool to see. But uh, Raoul Walsh directed this movie. John Huston, who was a, a collaborator of Bogart's a lot, he directed then, I think wrote and directed the, the Maltese Falcon um, adaptation that, that Bogart was famously in, uh, helped co-write the screenplay for this. So it has some of that uh, sort of punchy dialogue that, that I always like from movies of this time. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, you know, if you're, if you're interested in uh, Bogart's career, I think uh, High Sierra is definitely worth your time. One thing that I think you might appreciate, Brad, is a little Star Wars connection there because the, the opening credits for this movie is like the opening crawl from Star Wars. Oh, and nice. I, was, I was looking to see if there was if uh, you know George Lucas ever like specifically cited this film um, as uh, inspiration for that. And I couldn't find anything uh, on one Wikipedia page that I looked at. So I didn't have a ton of time to do research for that beforehand, but um, it mostly it claims that Lucas was, was looking at like old episodes of, uh, you know, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and stuff like that. And there were, there were some older movies, um, something called Union Pacific that Cecil B. DeMille directed in the late thirties. I've never seen that one. Um, but that also, I guess, was a, a specific reference that Lucas, uh, uh, cited there, but, um, yeah, it was just cool to see. Cause it's, it's still sort of an unusual, um, thing. You know, there aren't that many movies that, that use that as an opening thing. So it's very, yeah. um, you know, it jumps out at you, but, uh, hi Sierra. Uh, I don't know if it's streaming right now. I think you can rent it on Apple TV plus I have a direct TV stream and it was on, um, uh, Turner classic movies and I, I DVR'd it a little while ago. So yeah, if it's, I, I think it's, yeah, if it's on, if it was on Turner classic movies, there's a, a chance that it could be on HBO max since they have a big, uh, Turner classic movies library. Um, they have a whole hub for them, but if it's one of those movies that like fluctuates from time to time, like any other movie, then yeah, you might have trouble finding it. Right on. Okay. So what have you been watching, Brad? Uh, so, um, this, I've watched this a while back, but I'm just going to bring it up because I want to make sure that everyone hears about it as much as they can. Uh, everything everywhere all at once. The, the new movie from Daniels, uh, the directors of Swiss army man. Um, this movie is uh, a revelation. It is phenomenal. Uh, you might see a lot of things that sound like hyperbole when describing how good this movie is, but they are, they're all true. This movie is just stellar. It is weird and wonderful uh it's it's visually stunning uh it has an, an incredible narrative that um it feels wild and sporadic while you're watching it but it all ties together no matter how weird and outlandish some of the the elements of this movie seem to be it will all make sense in the end and it's not even one of those movies where like it'll only make sense in the end it just like the way it comes together is just beautiful it's um I, I can't tell you enough just how much you need to see this movie on the biggest screen possible and just try going in knowing as little as possible too. It's just a fun movie to discover and let it wash over you in all its oddball glory. Um, there's just incre incredible action. It's very heartfelt and emotional. Michelle uh, Yeoh is great. Um, uh, Kei Hui Kwan is great. And it's just this, this amazing movie that you really just need to see for yourself. I can't implore you enough. Uh, it should be in a in pretty wide release by now. Even if it's like an hour away from you, it's worth that two hour round trip drive to to go see it. So just please take a chance on everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm planning to go see it uh, Friday night after work, Brad. I'm I'm very excited. I've been yes. wanting to see this for a long time. Good. So. Yeah, I, this is one of those movies. So I um I this was movie was so good. I saw a very early press screening of it like two weeks before uh it it came out. 
and then uh, an opportunity came along to see it again on IMAX, which was a very limited uh, availability screening. Um, and Daniels were there for a Q and A, and I, I absolutely had to see it again. And uh, yeah, it's just it's it's incredible. Awesome. I have a strong feeling that this movie is going to be like a huge contender for our group number one of 2022 by the time the end of the year rolls oh, around. Yeah. But, and, um, and there'll be lots of great moments from it that make it onto into that uh, that list that we do as well. Excellent. All right. What else have you been catching up with? Uh, I also caught up with The Adam Project, which is the Netflix movie directed by Sean Levy, starring Ryan Reynolds as a pilot from the future who travels back in time and runs into his young uh, 12-year-old self uh, and has to figure out how to stop time travel from being invented. And uh, it's it's a really fun movie. I like it's uh, it got some Back to the Future to it. Ryan Reynolds is, does does his thing. Um, the the best part and like really what makes this work uh, better than it otherwise might have is Walker Scobell, this young kid who plays young Ryan Reynolds. And uh, in case you haven't heard, like um, part of the reason he's so good is he was already a big Ryan Reynolds fan. Um, even though some parents may frown upon this, uh, this, this kid had seen Deadpool, loved it, and really just knew how to emulate Ryan Reynolds as a kid. And not that it's like a, you know, a, a hammy, per, um, you know, just an impersonation by a kid. It's just a good performance overall. Um, the movie ha- isn't necessarily the best when it comes to certain plot points, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the film's villain, but it's uh, still pretty imaginative, has some cool production design. Uh, Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner are, are also in it, and uh, they're, they're great as well. And so it's it's a very entertaining movie. I, I honestly wish I would have been able to see this uh, in theaters, because it feels like the kind of movie that would have been fun to see with an audience. Um, I have some small quibbles with it, but for the most part, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Man, that's good to hear. I um, I kind of have been staying away from this movie because I heard so many, like, honestly mixed to negative things about it. I think the guys on the film cast um, <laughs> were, were not huge fans of this, generally speaking, in particular. So, um, And I think they, they actually called out the young actor's performance as like a huge negative, or one of them did, maybe it was Dave Chen, um, as like a, uh, you know, one of the things that they were really dinging the movie for. So it's, it's interesting that you um, specifically cited that as like one reason that you thought the, the movie worked well. So that, that's cool. You know, Just I a think broad it, I, range of, of uh, opinions there. I think when it comes to disliking kid performances like that, sometimes I think adults don't necessarily like when kids are too precocious or like maybe like wiser than their oh, age. Yeah. That drives me nuts. Yeah. And well, you might be disappointed by this then because <laughs> this, this, this kid, this kid is definitely like that, but I, I wasn't annoyed by it. I just, I liked his performance and I, I thought he was a, a good, uh, you know, foil for Ryan Reynolds, essentially. Excellent. Okay. So that's uh it's called the Adam project and it's on Netflix right now. Indeed. Uh, another Netflix movie. I watched the bubble directed by Judd Apatow. Uh, and this is basically a, a COVID-19 production version of Tropic Thunder, where um, a filmmaker played by Fred Armisen is directing a sequel in this uh, long-running action sci-fi franchise called Cliff Beast. This is the sixth time they're making a movie. Uh, studios are desperate to have some kind of new entertainment because of how COVID shut down Hollywood. And because uh, this was made at a time when movie productions were still slowly getting back to work and operating in what they refer to as a bubble, where they were on location and hold up in hotels and kept away from uh, a lot of other people to avoid the spread of COVID. That's what happens in this movie. This movie is being made uh, in the bubble, and that is the story of the bubble. Um, it has an impressive ensemble cast, including Karen Gillan, Pedro Pascal, um, Le- uh, Leslie Mann, who's Judd Apatow's wife, um, David Duchovny, 
even uh, Judd Apatow gets his youngest daughter, uh, Iris, in a, a supporting role this time. Um, unfortunately, as somebody who has loved pretty much everything Judd Apatow has done, even movies like uh, This Is 40, I, I've still enjoyed, this movie is just bad. It is awful. If Leslie no. Mann, yeah, if Leslie Mann and Iris Apatow weren't in this movie, I would never have guessed it was directed by Judd Apatow because it has none of his signature flair or cleverness. It feels like it's desperately trying to be Tropic Thunder, but it is nowhere near the quality whatsoever. I, I laughed out loud maybe three or four times. It's just a grating, exhausting, aimless, wandering, just mess of a movie, and I, I was unbelievably disappointed in it. Well, uh, that's awful. Um, so Brad, you know this more than anybody as the, the sort of resident comedy guru on Slash Film, that like sometimes um, if a movie is not really on your wavelength in terms of comedy, you're just not going to click with it. But does this have, um, how, what's a good way to put it? Are the bones of this movie in place? If you, if you try to strip away the comedy, is the story, the narrative, is that good enough or, or interesting enough on its own um, where somebody might, where you could imagine a world where somebody might uh, actually like this um, if their sense of humor was slightly different than yours. Does that make sense? I can imagine someone liking it if they haven't seen like a lot of comedies that have already done what this one tries to do, or um, if they don't necessarily have a high bar for just sitting back and like letting something make them laugh. But mm. like, I just like, I'm there's, there are plenty of stupid movies that make me laugh. And there are plenty of bad comedies that I enjoy that other people don't. Um, like for example, the watch, the movie about Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn and Jonah Hill who run a neighborhood watch community and they get caught up in an alien invasion plot. That movie got ripped apart when it came out. I think it's actually really funny and I, I, I really like it. Um, so my, I have like, you know, varying levels and degrees of the things that I enjoy. I'm not a comedy prude necessarily. I, I mean, and maybe that's just me being biased about myself, but, but like, <laughs> but I got a lot, a lot of, like a lot of dumb things and, you know, I'm not necessarily this, the sophisticated, you know, uh, comedy guru, but like, I just, this one just missed the mark for me. Uh, mm. uh and I just, yeah, I was super disappointed because it doesn't even, for people who like stuff like 40 year old virgin, you know, uh, knocked up and whatnot this this doesn't have the same comedic appeal it feels very broad and it doesn't have that that same uh kind of off the cuff you know um feel to it like the comedy feels very um plotted in a way that makes it lack authenticity and that's maybe the most annoying thing about it it just mm. feels like a glossy com glossy studio comedy without any real style or substance so it's what you're saying is it's the drill bit tailor of Judd Apatow's uh, directing career. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I will, I'll go along with that. <laughs> I haven't even seen drill bit Taylor. I just remember it getting <laughs> absolutely trashed and he produced it in whatever that was 2008 or something, but yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Move on. What's the next thing you watched, Brad? Uh, I've also seen fantastic beast, the secrets of Dumbledore, which is the latest in the fantastic beast franchise, the spinoff series from the, the wizarding world of Harry Potter. And uh, I will say that this is probably the best um, chapter in the spinoff franchise so far. Uh, however, since the first two movies were mostly underwhelming, uh, the second one being pretty dreadful, if I'm being honest, uh, that's not saying a lot, but this movie does come closest to feeling like uh, a Harry Potter movie, even though it still lacks a lot of the, uh, forgive the pun, magic that makes the Harry Potter franchise 
stand out and work so well. Um, the biggest problem is just that there's nothing here that makes this franchise feel like a story that needed to be told in the wizarding world. Um, it's, it's starting to veer that way because it's uh, giving us part of uh, Albus Dumbledore's history with Jude Law playing a young Dumbledore uh, and his relationship with Gellert Grindelwald, uh, the dark wizard who's now played by Mads Mikkelsen. But the movie itself um, just still kind of meanders and has a, still has a hard time figuring out how to make uh, Newt Scamander's story relevant in what is essentially becoming a much bigger story. I, I think that the movie, while it succeeds in utilizing him well in this movie, um, the the charm and like the amusing nature of his relationship with like magical creatures and, and beasts uh, still feels like it belongs in a completely different franchise but at the very least the ensemble nature of this one and like the uh the kind of like mission impossible-esque um premise of uh that the plot allows for to happen in the wizarding world at this time makes it pretty entertaining but it's it's still just just missing something mm. um so in, enjoyable but i uh, i'm worried that this one uh, is probably going to be the nail in the coffin for the fantastic beast franchise even though jk rowling was hoping to make two more of these Okay, so uh, we don't have to get on, on like a huge tangent here, but you mentioned the nail in the coffin. I think I've seen a lot of, um, I guess, doom saying about the projections, the box office projections, and like if this movie ends up performing at the level that they're tracking it right now, it's basically going to be curtains for the the franchise kind of thing. So I'm just curious, at, you know, you're somebody who's much more like tapped into the lore of the Harry Potter stuff. Like I, I couldn't even watch um, the first Fantastic Beast; like I couldn't finish it. Uh, so what do you think should happen with this, um, I guess, IP? I hate using that term, but uh, this this universe, this wizarding world, what do you think the the um, the way to sort of uh, recalibrate and potentially save this and, and sort of move it into the next era? What do you think that should look like? Yeah, that's an interesting question because Warner Brothers is kind of uh, stuck in this complicated situation. Um, I mean, the Fantastic Beast franchise as it is has been plagued by controversy outside of the film's production. Uh, you know, you have Johnny Depp's profile uh, falling from glory and him uh, being replaced by Mads Mikkelsen. You have Ezra Miller, who is now stirring up controversy uh, in headlines because of his behavior off offset. And then you also have J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter uh, franchise creator, who uh, is equally controversial because of her transphobic comments that she can't seem to stop making. Mm -hmm. And since she's such an integral part of how the Wizarding World of Harry Potter evolves and is created... Uh, it's hard to know what Warner Brothers can do without her, if anything, um, and what the next step would be if this is the end of the Pan Fantastic Beasts franchise. Because I'm sure Warner Brothers wants to continue to make the Wizarding World of Harry Potter a viable franchise moving forward. It's one of their most valuable properties. Mm -hmm. um, they have tons of things you know, invested in Harry Potter, from merchandise to, to video games and, and all that. But you know, if this isn't working, then they clearly have to find something else. Um, at one time, there were rumblings. I think it only turned out to be rumors of HBO Max developing uh, a Harry Potter TV series that hasn't been confirmed yet. I wouldn't be surprised if it's been discussed. Um, personally, I think that's maybe the best thing to do if they wanted to do something different is do a prequel series based on the original Order of the Phoenix when Voldemort rose to power the first time. Um, the only problem with that is, again, you probably have to have the involvement of J.K. Rowling because it's her property. She probably has to be there to, like, at least work as a consultant and decide, mm -hmm. you know, what matters. We um, we were recently talking in the Slash from Slack of, like, trying to figure out exactly how much power J.K. Rowling has. Is if, like, everything has to be approved by her before it's made by Warner Brothers. 
uh, and what they would have to do with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a tough situation to see how they can continue the Harry Potter franchise with so much controversy uh, surrounding it. And uh, at the very least, a lack of uh, interest from fans right now when it comes to Fantastic Beasts. I don't know if there's any way to get uh, Harry Potter fans excited about it uh, again. Yeah, yeah. Very curious, because like you said, there's there's definitely that clash between like the public perception of what this is and then also like the uh, the business angle of Warner Brothers realizing that this is like one of their very few cash cows that they have. And like that that tension is really interesting. I'm curious what's going to happen there. So uh, what else have you been watching, Brad? I have also watched, um, I've actually said, so I decided to dig into uh, the works of Albert Brooks because he's a comedian who I have seen a couple of his more recent movies. And I'm aware of like his legacy on Saturday Night Live and involvement with The Simpsons because uh, his relation to James L. Brooks as well. Uh, but I've never really dug into his own filmography. And so I decided to start doing that. And I started with uh, Defending Your Life, which is a, a beloved comedy. I've heard lots of people cited as being an inspiration and being one of their their favorite comedies. It's written and, and directed by Albert Brooks, who also stars in the movie. And if you've seen The Good Place, then you will very much recognize the framework for this movie. And you'll see where Michael Schur, uh, the executive producer of that series, got inspiration from Albert Brooks, um, which is something that he has talked about before, about how much he loves Albert Brooks. And uh, the contract for Defending Your Life is basically Albert Brooks dies suddenly um, in a car accident. And he ends up in this kind of afterlife way station that looks like uh, a major city that isn't remarkably dissimilar from Los Angeles, but just with some bureaucratic afterlife touches. Uh, And he basically has to go in uh, to this building with uh, the equivalent of an afterlife lawyer where his life is discussed and examined in this uh, court-like setting where they call back memories from his life to determine uh, whether or not it was lived in such a way that would justify him going on to the next plane of existence. Uh, So it's this very uh, dry, uh, satirical look at at the afterlife, um, as only Albert Brooks can deliver. Meryl Streep also stars in it, um, and she brings uh, results, brings about the romantic comedy side of the movie, essentially, where uh, these two characters kind of fall in love in the afterlife. Uh, But it's a very clever movie. Uh, It's easy to see just how much it has influenced uh, certain kinds of of comedies um, that have come in the the decades since it was released back in um, uh, 1991. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really good. So if you've never dug into uh, Albert Brooks's work before, this is a, a good place to start, I think. So where did you watch that? That's called Defending Your Life. And where did you watch that one? Uh, it was streaming on HBO Max when I watched it. Excellent. And then uh, another Albert Brooks movie I watched, this one goes actually uh, back a little more than a decade before Defending Your Life. Uh, and this movie is called Real Life. It's uh, also directed by Albert Brooks, and he wrote it with Harry Shearer of Simpsons fame uh, and Monica McGowan-Johnson. And this is another movie that you will see how it had an influence on future movies uh, and television. And it's actually a very prescient film as well. Um, It is a movie that follows Albert Brooks as a a version of himself who embarks with a film crew to record a year in the life of an average family in the United States. But... uh, things kind of start getting out of, out of um, sorts and doesn't go as well as Albert Brooks uh, hoped. And it's shot in this way where um, it's set up as uh, kind of like a documentary, but not in the, the, um, the mockumentary way that we know it today. This was like before that style had kind of been established. It's, uh, it's shot in a fairly cinematic way, but it has documentary 
elements to it, such as Albert Brooks talking to the camera and providing voiceover and whatnot. But um, it's definitely a like a predecessor to stuff like The Office and Parks and Recreation, um, and even preceding stuff like this is Spinal Tap. This this is kind of like one of the earliest uh, comedic documentaries um, that would influence the mockumentary genre. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very funny again, very reminiscent of Albert Brooks's comedy, but it's this um, it has some, just some surprisingly forward thinking thoughts and perceptions about like what would become uh, reality TV before there even was reality TV. And this concept of like selling reality to moviegoers and having them go see like a real family and see see what life was like uh and it even has all of the like the hollywood business kind of stuff too where people like with executives resisting it and not understanding and brooks having to argue about how to do certain things but uh it's uh very funny and uh just uh, i'm really you know getting uh, some great insight into just how you know brilliant and uh influential albert brooks ha- uh, has been on comedy today so was that also on HBO Max? So that one I actually um, ha- had to watch on, I think it was Canopy, um, okay. either Canopy or Hoopla, which is uh, these are those are two streaming services that you can get access to just by having um, a library card at your local library, and and that's a, that's what are free streaming services. Excellent. Okay, so that's defending your life and real life, and then let's get into what we've been eating. Uh, I, of course, have not been eating anything interesting, but Brad, um, as always, you're here bringing the heat. What you got? Of course. Uh, so Wendy's has a new uh, lemonade flavor called Sunburst Melon. Uh, I love Wendy's lemonade line. Like they have this this great array of different flavors, and this is their new one that's for spring slash summer. Some of the the lemonade flavors are a little too sweet, and I don't know if that's just because my local Wendy's doesn't necessarily know how to do the mixture right. Um, but this one, uh, I actually saw first had it um, when I was in Houston, so maybe that Wendy's is just better. But it was it's not too sweet. Uh, it's very refreshing. Has a mix of uh, watermelon, cantaloupe, and strawberry with with lemonade, and it's just great. If you you know like those kind of refreshing drinks, it's definitely worth going to a Wendy's to get. Um, I also went to a Jack in the Box while I was in Houston because they're open 24 hours and because we had such a wild uh, whirlwind of wedding activities. Uh, that was one of the places that was open late that we went to. And so when I was there, I noticed they had a new Pineapple Express milkshake uh, at Jack in the Box. Like Pineapple Express, <laughs> like branded to the, the 2008 movie? <laughs> so it's, it's not actually branded to the movie, but because Jack in the Box as a 24-hour fast food restaurant does have an appeal to a certain demographic, I'm, I'm sure that that's what they were going for. Uh, <laughs> has nothing to do with weed. It's just called Pineapple Express, and it really is just a, a pineapple milkshake, and it's it's really good. It has great tropical uh, flavor, with mixing the pineapple with uh, the milkshake. It's not quite as good as uh, like a Dole Whip from uh, you know Disneyland, mm-hmm. but it's but it's still good for uh, a fast food milkshake offering. Okay, and that also sounds like you took a trip to Little Caesars. Not in Houston, but just here, because this is uh, this is something that has been out before, but they brought back, and I never had it before, so I went out of my way to try it. They have stuffed crazy bread now. Uh, crazy bread is uh, probably my favorite breadstick that you can get from like a, a, a fast food pizza place, whether it's you know Pizza Hut, Papa John's, Domino's, uh, because the Parmesan cheese they have on it is so good. Um, and now they have stuffed crazy bread, which is it's the same crazy bread, but it's thicker and it has a, a a generous helping of melted mozzarella cheese inside of it. So it's basically like a crazy bread mozzarella stick, but big with lots of bread and lots of cheese. That's very filling. They only give you three of these uh, stuffed crazy bread sticks, but they are uh, big and very filling. 
So, um, so if you're not in the mood for a calzone, but you want the exact same thing, it sounds like do this. Yeah, there's not meat, but you can get it with marinara sauce. So. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, um, on the snack side of things, uh, I recently uh, tried garlic parmesan combos, which is a new flavor of the, I don't know, I guess you could say like filled cracker snack, sometimes pretzel snack. Uh, this one is like as a cracker version, and it has a garlic parmesan filling inside of it. And I think this is actually one of the uh, the best flavors that they have now. Personally, my my two favorites are the the cheddar pretzel combo and the pepperoni pizza one. And this one is probably right up there with with those two. It's um it has a flavor that feels like it's uh the the garlic parmesan flavor from Buffalo Wild Wings. So that's something hmm. you enjoy. It's not not necessarily a, uh, it doesn't have that little extra spicy kick to it as Buffalo Wild Wings does, but it's still still very good. Okay, and then sort of keeping in, you know, in vaguely similar terms as like the uh, that sort of genre, I guess. What's the next thing here? So this is the weirdest thing uh, that I've tried, um, not just this time, but like ever almost. <laughs> um, so there's this French ice cream maker called Van Leeuwen, and they have made a series of kind of odd ice cream flavors that are only exclusively available at Walmart. And I, I saw them pop up online, kept an eye out to see when they showed up at my store, and they finally did. And there were two key flavors that I was like, okay, this is just too weird for me to ignore. I need to try it. And those flavors are Kraft Macaroni and Cheese and Pizza. And this is an ice cream, to be clear. Yes, these okay. are ice creams. <laughs> these are ice cream flavors, and they're Kraft Macaroni and Cheese and Pizza. So what's... These are these are very weird. They're very very weird. And but the I mean, thing I is, even, I can't even fathom this, Brad. Yeah, it's like the thing is, the surprising thing is, is they're not terrible, but they're just they're the fla- You don't expect this flavor to come from ice cream, and I think that's what makes it so odd. So the Kraft macaroni and cheese ice cream, uh, it is it is a a bright orange ice cream. Uh, they got the color perfectly, <laughs> um, they, and they also got the flavor perfectly of Kraft macaroni and cheese sauce. That liquid cheese sauce that you make with the macaroni, that flavor is packed into this ice cream. But what's so weird is having that cheese sauce flavor be so cold. That's what makes it so weird, and it's it's really like your brain just doesn't know what to do at that point it's it's very very confusing um and so again not terrible i just don't know i can't fathom a time when like i'd be like oh man i need a few scoops of this craft macaroni and cheese ice cream <laughs> like i feel i do wonder like what the process is for certain companies coming up with these flavors like is it a matter of like you know what this is so weird people are gonna have to try it you know dumb people like me who just <laughs> spend their money on things like this and like uh, I don't. I just don't know anybody who would have this and think, "Yes, I need to to have a bowl of macaroni and cheese ice cream after a delicious dinner." Yeah, man. Okay, so what about the pizza one? So the pizza one um, isn't quite so good, but it was it was also just um, just interesting because the, the ice cream itself it's a it's a mozzarella and cream cheese base, and so you can taste the mozzarella uh, with the cream cheese. And the the weirder part of it is the tomato basil jam swirl that adds the pizza flavoring. <sighs> As well as um, these, uh, oh, what's the what's the cookie f- um, flavor? Is it lemon basil? I don't know. But there's these like like little cookie crumbles that are meant to resemble like the crust throughout throughout the ice cream, and it's the it's the tomato um, jam like swirl that makes it weird um, and not not super enjoyable. But the flavor itself is interesting in quotes. 
Okay. Yeah, if you if you if you see these at Walmart and you're so curious like I I can't tell you not to because like I just feel like it's an experience that you want to have yourself, but they're just know that you're probably not going to want to eat more than just like a spoonful to try. But I I will tell you so I have a a morning radio show that I do like every couple weeks on this local radio station where I where I live with my friend Ben. And it's become a a tradition now that every episode I bring something like this for him to try because he gets hilariously annoyed by it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this one was like one of the best ones we've ever done. <laughs> like it, it was the one time where like uh, he he came close to to just throwing up. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so so yeah, I will I'll, I'll give you a link so that and we can put in the show notes because it's a it's um even though it's a radio show we also do a video stream live while it happens so you can actually watch us. Uh, do that if you if you feel so inclined. <laughs> uh, so just real quick before we move on from this, there's no sweetness to either of these ice cream flavors at all, right? Because it sounds like it captured the flavor, <laughs> and if they added sweetness, that would drastically alter the flavor, right? Well, so the pizza one does have a sweetness because, in addition to the mozzarella, it's a cream cheese base ice cream. Hmm. So there is a little bit of sweetness there, and the macaroni and cheese ice cream. No, I wouldn't say that it's a, there's a sweetness because it's mostly just like a, a, an ice cream cheese. Okay, so basically you're just eating like really, really like frozen, um, like a frozen brick of Kraft macaroni cheese sauce. Well, yes, except, except I will say because it's French ice cream, it's it's very, very soft. Like it's not like the kind of ice cream pint where you have to like really dig into it to like okay. get a chunk on your spoon. It's it's a very soft, smooth ice cream. Somehow that's even weirder. But, <laughs> but yes. Okay. All right. So let's get into what we've been playing uh, as we head into the home stretch of this episode. Brad, it looks like you've been playing a lot of stuff. So yes and no. Like these, this is not like, these are not like complicated things, but I wanted to bring them up because uh, we, we made a post about one of them when they happened. But um, ever since Wordle came along, there's this been ex- this been this explosion of these like little mini games online that like uh, have that fluctuate every 24 hours where there's always like a new puzzle to solve. And there's a pretty good handful of movie related games that have followed in that same suit. Um, the, the most basic one uh, is Hollywood Wordle, which is the same basic premise as Wordle where you get a, a five letter word, except in this case um, it is a movie title. So you have like a, a much smaller pool of words to choose from in some ways, because a lot of these movie titles are also just words, <laughs> but, but it does make it easier to kind of think of like the kinds of uh, words you should be going for. And in some ways it, it makes it um, a little more difficult, even though you do have a smaller pool of words to choose from, especially if there are, are movie titles that you just aren't familiar with. So some of it comes from guessing words similar as to, to the way you would with, with Wordle. Others just come from like knowing, you know, five letter movie titles off the top <laughs> of your head. So um, on that same uh, train of thought, uh, there's this game called Framed, where it, what happens is uh, you get, I think it's six or seven guesses to guess what a movie is based on a series of single frames from that movie. Uh, and so it starts from, you know, being pretty obscure stuff to uh, hopefully what will eventually get you to guess what the right movie is. Uh, and that's been a lot of fun. There's been, um, you feel great when you know a movie right off the bat from a super obscure frame. And yeah, then, I've you, been playing this one with my friends as well. Yeah, and then you feel dumb when you get to like three and you're like, oh yeah, of course it's this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so yeah, like like one of the most recent ones that like uh, was, I was like, oh yeah, of course, is uh, The Exorcist. Because like the first two frames, it was like, 
what the hell is this? And then it's like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> I was happy that I got that one on one. I was oh, very pleased with myself. Fancy boy. <laughs> but they also did a Scott Pilgrim one recently, and I did not get that one. On oh, the first I nailed one, so. that one. I nailed it. <laughs> Um, and then I've also been playing, uh, this is the one that we posted about on Slash from before. It's called the Box Office Game. Uh, this one's a little bit more complicated, but it's really fun if you're a huge movie nerd. Uh, basically what happens is it gives you the top five movies on a given weekend at the box office. It could be, you know, August uh, 27th of 1994. I don't know if August 27th happened on a weekend in 1994, but that's just a date that I'm giving you as an example. Right. <laughs> and so it gives you the, uh, you have to guess what the top five movies are at the box office. Um, it gives you from the start, it tells you how much it made in uh, that particular weekend, how much it's made it made overall, the studio that distributed it, um, and the year. It, well, obviously, the year it came out, um, and then uh, what are the other things that it gives you? Hold on, I'm looking real quick to remember. Um, yeah, that's it. So then, and so then you have uh, a total of ten guesses that you can get wrong before you lose but the what's great about it is you don't necessarily have to just guess movies willy-nilly uh you can expand each um entry and you have the opportunity to use points to give you hints to guess what the movie is so you can find out what the genre of the movie is you can find out who the director was um there are three potential actors it can give you if you spend the points uh, you can guess the budget and um it'll help you hopefully figure out what these movies are um, for my money, I think that the most helpful hints are either, oh, the tagline is also one. The tagline can be very helpful. Um, but then also I've been usually just going for, uh, the number one actor slot to figure out what the movie is. Mm. And so you get points for guessing, uh, what the movie is, but then you lose points if you, uh, don't guess it correctly. Um, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. Like it really tests your, uh, your movie knowledge. So if you're one of those people who feels like you have a lot of movie trivia knowledge, it's a fun one to play. And then there's one more. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce this one. It's but like it's uh, they're just going off of the wordle trend, and so it's called actoral or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a great title, but um, how this one works is it gives you seven guesses, and you have to guess who the actor is. Now the clues it gives you are a list of uh, like ten or twelve of their movies. It tells you what the genre is of those movies, the year that they came out and the IMDb score, but it doesn't give you the title. Instead, it gives you the title with all the letters um, having X's in their place. So you can see like how the phrasing of the titles plays out, hmm. but you can't see any of the letters. And so you have to start off by guessing a random actor. And then after you do that, it'll tell you how close you are in age to who that actor is. So if you guess an actor um, it, and it appears in yellow, that means the difference is less than 10 years uh between the age of the actor that you have to actually guess. And it'll also tell you whether or not that actor is younger or older than the actor that you've guessed. And so you'd basically just go through. And then as you guess, if you guess an actor and the actor is in one of those movies, it'll tell you what that movie is. So, huh. it, so it helps kind of narrow it down as you go along. It can be pretty challenging. Um, I, I've had pretty good streaks with like the other games I just mentioned, but this one has been pretty tough uh, occasionally. Like you really have to sit and like think about it and just, you know, pay close attention to all the, the hints that you're given as you go along. Yeah, man, this one sounds very difficult compared to some of the other ones, but uh, that, that's intriguing. I'll definitely, I, like I said, Framed is the only one of these that I've really uh, been playing on any sort of regular basis. So I'll have to check that one out too. But, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that's cool. it. Yeah, we've got, uh, I'll, I'll try to put links to all of those in the show notes for people who are, who are interested and you can 
uh, mess around and play around as your heart's content. Um, all right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. You can find more about the stories that we mentioned on the show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.